You're listening to the Spirit Hunters. Find out about our pod brethren and how to join our now public and free Discord group and support the show at patreon.com slash spirithunterpod. And welcome to Season 3, Episode 45 of The Spirit Hunters. This is Sarah. Damn it, I just... Steely Dan himself. I just ate like a bunch of beef. I just put a bunch of beef stew in my mouth. Patrick, oh, sorry. Patrick wow, beef stew wow. Trainer. Decides. <laughs> this is Hannah. This is Joe. Megan. It's I'm Megan. hungry, yeah. guys. I'm hungry. I need to eat my beef, my bison beef stew. You're hungry. I'm oh, hungry, oh, baby. He, he I'm, hungry, I'm baby. He hungry, baby. <laughs> Eating his oh, cherry no. juice. <laughs> Last time, the Zodiacs kept on trying to figure out the election process while Kilua headed home for another drama-filled Zoldic family reunion and ended up freeing his little sister, Aluka. This week, the butlers are keeping tabs on the rule breakers while right voters are taking jabs at deadbeat dads. You better get ready. It's a regular 2024 scenario. Damn, <laughs> talking straight about my dad, all right. Megan, take it away. 140, join battle and open battle, uh, San Sento Kaisen. Um, it was originally released in Japan on July 30th, 2014. The equivalent manga chapters are 324, 325, and 339, which were released in Japan on November 14th, 2011. Happy birthday, Tommy, in 2011. Happy birthday, Tommy, much love. It would have been 20 in 2011. Good good, oh, good wow. age. Uh, I had a good question, age. though, for you, Megan, probably. Uh-huh. Uh, so I always thought Kaisen, uh, w- w- is it Tyson or Kaisen? That's what I'm, because I thought uh, Tyson is battle and war, though. I have no idea, but like, Kai, it, it, se- it spells out Kaisen in the, in the katakana. So, okay, I'm gonna go with that. But what were you saying, Joe? Uh, I, I think Sen is battle, and then like Tyson is like. Uh, let me. Okay, I think Sento means bath. Yeah, no, that means bath. I'm thinking something else. <laughs> but Sen Sen is a part of a word that can mean like different words around battle and fight. So Kaisen is probably just modifying it. Yeah, there's okay. also Kaisen Don, yeah. which is like a food. Also, something that I'm really confused about, I looked up um, Sansen, and one of the things that came up was third-term election, which frankly seems oh. like a much more appropriate word for this episode title. But I oh. wonder if the other word... I wonder if it's like a three-way pun. Like, it's like, we're using Sen in both of them in the sense of battle, but also it can mean election. Oh. It's probably... The, they probably did it on purpose. That, that is funny, though. Yeah, these titles are always, like, super pun-heavy. Sansen is in, like, three Sansen yep. election. Got it. Yeah, third-term election. Third term election. Oh, dang! You know, that's why they use the katakana. Keep us on our toes instead of using the kanji, so we actually know the meaning. <laughs> well, then you can't do the puns as hard. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But continue. Uh, happy birthday, Tommy. That's that was that was what I was. <laughs> Wait, is it, is it Tommy's birthday or is the no episode? November fourteenth is Tommy's birthday? Okay. Happy early, happy old birthday, Tommy. (laughs) Previous birthday, Tommy. Okay. Anyways, um, so 
The episode starts off with basically um, a bunch of people visiting Gon at the hospital, including like Biscuit and, and Leorio, but seems like no one can wake him up and the surgeon, doctor, nun, exorcist person's like, this is impossible. Um, so over the phone, Morel is talking to Kilua and Kilua's, Kilua's like, I got a way better plan than using some nun exorcist, but you got to trust me, okay? But his call is cut off thanks to the butler Goto saying that Kilo is on alert level four. What does this mean? This means that the person's words and actions are restricted. They're monitored by a lot of butlers and family members. And any violation to alert number four means immediate capture and being subjected to alert level five, which is not being allowed to leave the estate. So Kilo is on thin ice right now. I thought um, this was interesting in... Like, this is just, like, such a huge part of the episode, it feels like. It just feels really long, but we'll get to in the manga, like, what this equivalent thing was, and it's a very bizarre difference. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Um, Another thing, they said a line right as they were describing the alert levels. They're like, you are still barely within Zoldic properly, but outside of bounds. And I was just like, that's a dad-ass thing to say. <laughs> Wait, we, I thought he was in the man. <laughs> I don't know. It's a large property, right? So yeah, it's a whole yeah. estate. They have pretty much the. Ma I think. I think the entirety of Kukuru Mountain is theirs. I could be wrong. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I had the impression that they had a whole bunch of houses lying around that people could just like chill in, no matter where they are. So they're in one of those houses. Oh no, they're in the. Uh, they're in the security booth outside the wall. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So they're still on Kukuru Mountain. Yeah, oh, okay. it's it's like you know when the tourists passed by and then they first uh, got by the yeah. testing door. Oh it's yeah, that door right Mika. there. Oh okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So why are these all these alert levels a thing? It's to help protect the Zoldic family secrets, and with this particular thing, there are three rules to help protect the family secrets. One, outsider contact is forbidden in that you can't have any communication devices. Two, um, you have to remain within one meter radius of this, for this context, the subject, mm -hmm. Aluka. And then three, Aluka's abilities must be kept confidential. Not even a single little hint. Nothing cute like that, okay? And Kiloa's like, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, Kiloa decides to bring both Goto and Canary um, with him and his sister to get around this whole thing. And he's like, you know, if I have you two, that means you guys can keep me in check and whatnot, and I won't get in trouble. And then Goto's like, why is Canary here? And Kiloa's like, you dummy. Like, Alka's a girl, so this is why Canary's here, because you don't get, you wouldn't get it. And then... All of a sudden, the butler, Sabone, is that how you pronounce it right? And then... I pronounce yeah, it Subone, but I think it's Subone. Is... No, yeah, it's Subone, but, like, the distinction between the S and the TS, who who fucking cares? Um, so, Subone and her granddaughter, Amane, um, they are going to tag along because Kilo's dad doesn't trust him. And also, um, according to Goto... In his inner thoughts, 
He says Sabone's the only person who can call Kiloa Kiloa Chan or Kiloa Deer, according in the English dub. So they said yeah. Chan. I wasn't sure. Yeah, it's like Aww. Chan in the in the Japanese, but Deer in the dub, which is dumb. But you know, uh, how are yeah. you gonna yeah. render that? Yeah, yeah, it, it makes sense though. It, it is kind of interesting though that. Uh, that even after all the ant shit, all all the the power ups that Kilo has gotten, all of his abilities, he's still like the butler still can like solo him. It's like kind of crazy that they have that much power. Like the bows have that much power. Yeah, I mean they train them well, and you know if you're gonna have a bunch of assassin kids to watch over, you're gonna have to you know be able to like compete with that. So. And theoretically, both sides of that equation would be going for non-fatal attacks, and I wouldn't be surprised if the butlers are more capable at capture. I see, like like While they're trained, specifically trained for and, assassination. I see, and then like he and they're just trained to like subdue and knock them out. Where it's like they probably could easily do that and have the speed. I mean, obviously, Subone has the speed to do that. We'll, we'll talk about that. She yeah. has high speed, but who knows about her agility? Yeah, it makes me wonder with Killua though, with his uh his lightning reflex thing, if he if she would still be a match for him, but apparently so, if if even after all that, she's still uh, scary to him. Well, remember, he also has to carry Alka, so that kind of makes the equation much more in her favor. Mm. Okay, I can see that. Continue. Um, yeah, so Alka's really cute, and she's like, hey, stop billing my brother. And Suboni's like, oh, do you love your brother? Then you better do what he says, okay? <laughs> and so um, during that cute exchange, Canary's thinking in her mind and she realizes that um, she, Cleo was doing all this to save his friend. She doesn't say who, but she says his friend. So she's like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to help Kiloa, even if at the cost of my own life. So Canary's awesome, as always. Um, yeah, and then Aluka makes a, dem a demand to, to Sabone, and she's like, give me your fingernail. And everyone's, like, shocked and, like, scared and whatnot. Oh, still freaks me out. Yeah. It is, yeah, you know, because what... I mean, the old lady, she's bold because she does exactly that. She gives her pinky to um, Alaka, and then she tells Kiloa, I'm going to hide away now, so that way... Alika can't get ask demands from other people and won't be asking demands for me. So, and she leaves. Um, and Alika's like, oh, are you mad, Brick Brother? Are you mad, Kilua? And Kilua's like, no, I'm not. And in his mind, and this is something I want to ask, he says, in the English dub, I'm going to save them all. He doesn't spe specify them as who, so I guess... In your mind, in you guys' opinion, um, does he mean, like, Alaka or them, including Sabone and Gon? I don't know. What do you guys think? I think he just means uh, specifically Gon and Alaka because he, his mind thing is, like, he doesn't just want to, like... Like, the, the point is not to use Alaka. Like, the point is to, like, have Alaka escape and live a life that's not locked behind the walls in a cruel fashion because... Like, in the beginning of the, I think it was, like, a couple episodes ago, he was like, wow, he used this needle to subdue me and completely uh, forget all about Alaka, and it's like, 
ignore the fact that she's here and like subdue him in that aspect. So I think now that he has that and after all that stuff, I think his goal isn't, I mean, while it is kind of selfish in the nature of using her to get gone, I think the, the thing is like, I want to have her free. I don't want her to be locked away anymore, you know? I definitely yeah. agree with you. I think one thing that's weird about the choice of them all as opposed to them, like it really just feels like they should have just been like, I'll save them. Them all makes it sound like there's more than two people. Because like you would never use them all for two people. Yeah. Wait, what did they say? And do we know, is that the English translation or the? Yeah, that's the English. Wait, did you watch Crunchyroll or Netflix? Netflix. Okay, so did I, which has the bad subtitles, sadly. The bad, the subtitles that are pretty much just the English dub. Um, did anyone watch this on Crunchyroll? I'll, I'll listen to it really quick and see if I can determine that just that one piece. Um, well, then getting back to the notes, um, one thing we, we missed slash glossed over real quick is Kila has a, a just like a side note of like thinking like, God, I have issues dealing with old ladies referring to Tsubone and uh, Bisky. That sound, I, I'm just imagining Bisky just like showing up and just slapping him for that. You know, somewhere her ears were burning. She seemed pretty upset when she was seen gone, so maybe she heard that. But yeah, w- w- but sir, what did you think of the? Uh, actually, I forgot um, exactly. What did you think of that? I whole immediately thought he was referring to Gon and Luca, so I couldn't really imagine who else would include as them all because I also saw it in the subtitles because I listened to the dub, but I put the subtitles on anyway, um, just so. I guess to compare and see so I assumed it was just the two of them but you're right all seems different from what you would usually refer to so I don't know who else maybe he's referring to himself or some or something um but uh, I guess like one thing that also left the impression for me like with Subone when she offered the pinky nail at first i thought like oh god this is like terrible but then i realized what is the other alternative she gets squashed out of existence so giving up a fingernail doesn't seem that bad in comparison and i mean she probably give up worse too yeah <laughs> like she, she's probably like she, she i mean she did that with even hesitation it's like literally like just like me uh like trimming my tone my nail it's like she's ripped it out with her her own force of her like uh, fingers, like oh my god, but yeah, no. The things that even in the, like the couple times I watched it, I assume the same exact thing. The like Sarah did, like where it's like when it said save them all, it's like okay, kill and gone. Like the idea of saving all of them, like both of them. But I don't, I don't know why they made that choice. Maybe oh it's god, like god. a timing thing. I th- yeah, I, yeah I, I'm not gonna butcher it, but it sounded like. Um... It sounded like it was like a timing choice or something like that because it, um, I think it does just mean con- them. I think he's Did also say- considering like uh, what was the name Nanika? Mm. Maybe. Uh, did Did they say like Mina? No, they said Arewa Kanaze. I think huh. that's what I heard. I could be my listening comprehension and like translations really really off. Um, but I couldn't. He, I was assuming they like something like, I don't know, but like the 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 Netflix um, subtitle said them period. I wouldn't so, be surprised if the, the voice act is just like a voice actor like mishap, and they're like, okay, well, it's close enough, and no one noticed the kind of like a ad lib or you know it was yeah. maybe in the script as them all. 
or like or they just said it because because it it was a lot is a lot more said i'll save both of them they probably needed the time it and it's just the timing wasn't right so they said save them all versus save all of them or save both gone and like save both of uh, them or whatever i don't know like i don't know dubbing is interesting it's interesting art but so megan a question so are is just like a demonstrative pronoun for saying very far away <laughs> listen to it again because i heard well i mean as i'm saying like in in comparison to like kore sore yeah, and dore. Sore, dore, yeah. Oh, wow. it could be ore like i ore but like i don't i'm again okay. bad at listening so no, it could I, th- be I, think or ore. I think um, i think we've uh, jumped pretty far in already <laughs> yeah but anyways i want to bring up mina you said mina and every time i think about that i think of a uh, morris taunton fire and uh super smash Bros. melee because he pretty much just says, everyone get behind me, but I remember hearing it so much because I just taunt randomly with him all the time, so. Nice. Sorry, just a little side note. I thought it was funny. Um, but yeah, please continue. Uh, who, who was reading? Was it Hannah? Yes. It was... um, Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so we cut to um, Kilua is in the... In the- gang is companies are driving on the highway, and... Um, Goto's talking to someone who's clearly yelling over the phone. That person is Leorio. He keeps calling Kilua Cell and wanting to talk to him and is pissed that Goto keeps answering. Um, Goto tells Leorio um, that Kilua's on the way, so shut up, and that there's conditions to saving Gon, but he, but Leorio's like mad about that. So Morel eventually does take over the phone call since um Leorio's hot-headed and basically some of the conditions includes no doctors um everything's needs to be secluded and unplugged even if I remember um and yeah so basically Morel calls like Nav about it and he's like, hey, we gotta do this and this. You gotta trust Kiloa that Kiloa knows what he's doing and whatnot. They speculate like, is Kiloa bringing a Nen exorcist? But then they're like, probably not because these are some crazy conditions. Um, yeah. So Lorio, he leaves and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna go take care of all this stuff. Um, with Goto, and I'm gonna be fine. I gotta find some people because he's got a thing or two to say to them. And this includes Karapika, who he keeps calling, but Karapika is not answering because Karapika's too busy sitting in this small black room in a fancy black suit. So I don't know. We can talk about that or save it for post episode or post um, summary. We'll see. Yeah. I have I have notes in the for the manga on that part. Okay. I added some too. Cool. Okay. Yeah, but no, I do I do think it, I I actually am really happy to see Leorio again. It's been way too long, and I and I figure I don't know what's I actually have no idea what's happening after the next arc. But I have a feeling this is going to be the last time we see him for a long time after this too. Really? Oh, you're right, baby. You're right. This is oh, not the man. last time we'll be seeing him. I, yep. I'm i so excited for you guys to get to the manga. <laughs> it's a fucking crazy upside-down world. Ooh, <laughs> I am I am actually pumped. Okay. Okay, now we cut, cut to Periston. 
he is speaking to a huge crowd of hunters and he's telling people to vote and share their views with everyone or everyone in the crowd because no view is a bad view though it clearly is sometimes and he also calls out Jing saying like hey this guy has committed a shit ton of violations against the hunter society hunter association but look at him he's still here so yeah anyways they say if you're thinking of abstaining why not vote for him this is like a fucking like we should get that donald trump voice synthesizer (laughs) to fucking say periston lines because they'd be amazing (laughs) also i wish i could do his voice i mean we could we could even do it and call them we could do what they did with the biden's voice voice thing call uh democrats to not vote in the primary damn Thanks. Yeah, that actually happened. I thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, and by interesting, I mean dystopianly scary, but I don't know. Yeah, before you decide to get impersonators to do it. Exactly. I don't know. It's more fun to get impersonators because it's funny. Now it's just scary. Yeah. Especially because the people who are most vulnerable to it are the elderly who have bad hearing. Yep. No, that's what's scary. I'm worried about that for me, like in the future. Like what crazy stuff will happen. Like they'll be able to like make an AI, like a, a digital copy of like my grandkid. And to, oh yeah, that kid, that grandkid you talked to like for years, he was just scamming you. Grandkid's been dead for like three years. That's like of, cool. Thank you, thank you, uh, futuristic horrors. You think of getting decrepit, old, out of your decrepit. faculties? Yeah, decrepit. You just nervous uh, about that? Yeah. Yeah. Just me too. Dry. Dry. All right. Anyways. Dry skin. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, so. I'm gonna make a reminder on Siri. Don't age. Hey Siri, remind me in ten years to moisturize. <laughs> Why you can yo be the change you wish to see in the world? Why not have heaven now? I just did it. Moisturize one twenty two thirty four. We're good boys and girls. Okay, continue. Okay, um, so. Basically, they ask the crowd to share their views, and the first person to raise their hand is our boy, Leorio, and he came with one thing in mind. He literally goes up and says, like, hey, Jing, I want to talk to you. Why haven't you visited your son in the hospital yet? Like, what the hell? And so um, he says that... Jing hasn't visited at all yet, and then Jing's like, oh, well, who are you? <laughs> You're his friend? Okay, cool. Good. Keep keep doing that. And then Laura's like, what the hell? Go visit your son already. Stop being a shit dad. And then Jing's like, well, did God ask me if I wanted to visit him? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and then yeah, goes, city. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, nope, he didn't ask. Then why the fuck do I need to go? And so literally Elorio sees Red and he gathers all his men and he punches the I think it was the ground, but he punches downward and all of a sudden a Nen punch comes up underneath. Jing's seat and punches Jing straight in the jaw. And then um, Lurio's like, die, asshole. And then everyone in the crowd goes wild. And then I think, who's it? Someone's like, okay, guys, go vote. <laughs> so, 
No, she she uh, says, tell everyone who wasn't here that they can watch it whenever they want. In fact, oh, make yeah. them watch it. I was just like, yeah. wow, Koto's <laughs> here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I had the impression that he punched through the podium he was talking he did. through. He punched <laughs> through the podium, and, yeah. Like, this situation gave me, like, you know that one meme and everyone clapped? In this situation, yeah. everyone <laughs> did clap. That, that, that happened. That actually happened. And his name was Leorio Palatinite. Yeah, Leorio Leorio Einstein, and then they gave him hundred dollars, and then like uh, they posted that. What was it that the meme was like? True story that everyone posts when it's like it's a true story. Uh, yeah, some people are like, I was there. Yeah, I was there. I was the toast. I was the podium. I was the podium. I was the. I was the fist. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that that's it. That was the end of the episode. Let's uh nice. let's jump into the manga differences real quick and then talk about what we think of it. Okay. So Patrick, start us off. Let's see here. Ooh, uh, no, my thing's jumping all over the place. Oh, uh, there's this really cute picture of uh of uh Aloka hugging Killua. I thought it was really cute. It's it's ultra cute. Also the the flowers are very cute too. Very cute, very cute. I wish I knew um, enough about flowers to tell you what those were. They look like roses. Uh, I think the center one does. I don't think the outer ones do, because roses don't bloom that far out. Yeah, I, I have no idea. I, I failed my botany class, unfortunately. Don't take botany in, in school, kids. Anyways, uh, the next note is... Uh, so in the anime, they show the Nenexes twice. Once, uh, when he's going up to Gon, I think it was, like, in the beginning of the episode, where it's like, oh my god, I, like, look at it, it's like, I can't do this, and then, and then, in the anime, it goes to, it says it again when, uh, when, uh, Morel's talking about the, oh, is he getting an exorcist sort of thing? But in the manga, all that's all, just happens at once when he's, on, Morel's on the phone, if that makes sense, so, yeah, one big change, it's, I, I guess it's just kind of, I have no idea why they changed it, uh, just to make it more clear that they're having negative under six or just to fill up time. So I've, I have no idea. Yeah, I do think it's interesting that they mentioned that this is the only Nen Exorcist in the association because they've previously said Nen Exorcists are incredibly rare. But it's also interesting to find out Albengane is not in the association. Uh, that's the dude that uh, did the first Nen Exorcism we saw, right? Yeah, that's the guy who was able to, you know, get rid of the thing on Krollo and was able to swallow, like, the time bombs. Ah, uh, nice. And is also the inspiration for one of the uh, curses on a character in Jujutsu Kaisen. Ah, oh, nice. He locked Goto away. Uh, it's the it's the one who uh, it's that worm that hangs out on one of the main characters' dads. Oh, nice. In his brain. No, uh, like the guy with the weapons. I don't know his name. Oh, the, I don't the, watch that show. Oh, but the sexy dad. dad. Oh, oh, that dude. That guy that that when he was fighting the that the creature and the domain expansion. I I haven't watched it. I just know there's a sexy undead dad. Anyways, yeah. Oh, that that's him. He's he's pretty good. He he. I won't spoil it though. Uh, go watch Jujutsu Kaisen the Shibuya arc. I still haven't watched the last episode. Um, it's definitely eye opening, for sure. Nice. But anyways, uh, what's the, so I think you want to cover the next note. That was your note about the Yeah, so I included this rules. picture here because there is a setting they did not use in the anime. Look at the top frame. They basically made a Rococo interior for a butler's quarters. Rococo was like 
a style at the height of Baroque that is like ultra, like ultra decorated, like full of like inlaid precious materials. And this is the butler's quarters. I can also see why they didn't want to like animate this simply because this would have been hell with the amount of textures. Yeah, that's a, that'd be, that'd be a lot of work. I could see that. It kind of looks like a, the, the, uh, the Sistine Chapel that. No, that... this is much more ornate than the Sistine Chapel. Like Versailles. Yeah, this is like Versailles. Yeah. I mean, the only Rococo I know is Rococo Bodhi from Mega64. It's nice. the only Rococo I know. But yeah, uh, no, that it is interesting, and I'm glad they didn't, because I imagine that, that if they did, they'd probably have the same issue Nappa's been having recently. First, I thought you said Nappa's been having. I'm like, that he's dead? Nappa. Sorry, Nappa. No, sorry. I, I understood, like, the moment you gave the context. Yeah. <laughs> No worries, but uh, yeah. I, uh, I do appreciate this detail because it kind of makes me think of, you know, the uh, Kiwa's mom and her character design oh, yeah. is I very, like, Marie Antoinette-esque. So it, it's cool to see it kind of tied together visually with this background and then her character design. Um, and I wonder how it would probably be a pain in the butt to animate. I mean, I guess nowadays they could put like a lot of like 3D assets in the background, <laughs> kind of like what they do with like the Korean webtoons I watch that take place in this fancy fancy setting. There's like this meme where they use like the same 3D asset castle <laughs> every time. <laughs> so, I don't know, but you would notice it in anime for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I should get into webtoons. That's it's uh, pretty good. I keep getting advertised them all the time. Like I got like for a long time I just got advertised on Facebook. There's this one interesting one that I've been following. I just forgot the name of it. I do too. So him. I get ads too, and I'm just like, is this porn? And then I'm like, oh, I guess this is just like a romance story. But man, you're definitely uh, giving me a clipping that looks like porn. I've been honestly, I I clicked on a couple of them, and they were actually just porn. Oh wow! Like interesting. Good like, thing I never like, clicked the links. Yeah, like all like, those porn because they, the only thing they got keeping it from completely being too not safe for work is the white bars for censorship. I don't know. The one I watched, there wasn't any white bars. It was like straight on, oh. like okay, oh boy. Like hope you weren't Bob. I was Bob gonna say hope you weren't doing this in public transit. I'm like, you're in Arizona. You definitely weren't doing this in public transit. Yeah, you probably shouldn't open that up. Honestly, webtoons are like a, it's like a a gamble at work. It could either be cute content or just straight up porn so all right anyways continue i have a new game to play at work at least just joking don't do that at your work guys that's that's gross anyways uh so the next <laughs> the next one uh is uh is uh leorio trying to call karapika and karapika is not picking up in the anime it it shows that karapika is sitting there and blatantly ignoring the phone call but in the manga, it seems more that the Kropika is just not near their his phone. And it's not able to pick it up. So at least in the manga, it leads it leads to some uh, leads it to your imagination whether Kropika is like specifically ignoring the phone call or he just can't get to it at the moment. Versus in the a anime, he's blatantly ignoring the phone call. So this is an interesting choice, because if you'll remember, when we talked about the equivalent manga chapters for today, it's 324, 325, and 339, so like a big jump. That's because mm -hmm. this shot is from 339. Um, okay, so they do show it later that on. That makes sense. 
<laughs> yes, because I include the next shot here, which it's not really a spoiler, but it's because Kurapika is listening to his phone, but is staring at like a bunch of eyeballs in jars in what looks like a incredibly ornate half Catholic, half Buddhist shrine. This this is just the uh, this is just the bishop's house. Yeah, but um, this is included in the last shot of the anime, and it technically occurs later. But they used basically the panel right before it for this scene to into, to like show Kurapika instead of just imply him. Okay, yeah, no, I I actually missed that. So thank you for putting that in there. I completely it was weird because I was just like, why would they skip so many chapters? Weird. Okay, and then the the last one, I just really like this animation of uh, Ging Ging punched because it looked like a lot of the action shots that Gone have, where it's like that the the weird eye the eye look and the hyper realistic look of it. Yeah, no, that's a really good catch. I did not notice that, but once you pointed out, I'm like, holy crap! Yeah, this is like one of the few times where you can really see like Gone as Gene's son. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting de detail that they add in there, and it's a cool reference. But yeah, I. I I just really like that. It was really cool. And they don't show that in the anime at all or make that evident. It's just like the punch is more just like a, he, you see him getting upper thrust into the air versus you see the face and the punch hit. I like the effect that it has because um, this is all one page, right? Um, for yeah. the, this particular image. I yeah. think the way that it's drawn is really effective. I don't know if like the exact terminology, but it feels like that punch had a lot of weight to it just because on the right side you see him looking down and then there's the fist coming up but and when it finally connects with his chin suddenly a very instead of being like clearly seen jing is suddenly all like uh, cross hatched if that's the right word but the background is a lot heavier and darker in color so it's, it feels like there's like force coming in it's like simulating motion blur through vertical lines, which is really cool. Right. Yeah, it's really um, cool though. I really, I really like the detail, and I think it's really a cool thing that I, I get what the anime doesn't have, but I kind of wish it did. Yeah. So this panel is revisited in the manga later, and there's things about the panel that I see now that are really interesting. That like you just will not understand why I'm looking at this photo harder. Okay. Just wait. But yeah, anyways, that's it for the manga differences. Uh, rate those deaths. There wasn't any deaths. I mean, I guess if you consider the, the eyeballs and the jars, I guess that's technically deaths, but you don't see it, so. No one dies yet. Nope, I don't think so. Yeah, I've, I've gotten out of practice of this, guys. What did you think of the episode? I liked it. Um, I thought the... I guess the not really the conclusion, but just how what happened like after Kiwa managed to what like like basically like uh managed to escape the family with Aluka, but not really because he's being obviously like babysat and tailed by the butlers. Um, so it's nice to kind of see that interaction between the different butlers like Goto versus Canary and also Subane and the relationships that they have with him, but also their reactions to Aluka as well. Because um, I think for the most part, I saw most of the staff treating Aluka with like just clear fear, um, while everyone I think at least in that room with them currently is relatively calm 
for the most part until you know she asks like oh can i have a fingernail um and that's when like understandably there's a threat while before it seemed like everyone around her that wasn't kilua was just afraid of being perceived by her <laughs> well it wasn't really the case at least like in this hideout area so i thought that was interesting and i also was like oh man i forgot how much i like leorio when he showed up i was like oh man i miss this dude and it's really does show that he really does care about his friends especially standing up to jing and kind of doing what everyone was thinking of doing but couldn't do and you know punching him um and it really just showed like Jing does not really care about Gon, at least in a way that I guess a father should. Because um, obviously, like, at least he's aware that Gon is, he's keeping tabs on him, but he's not showing like, I guess, like the paternal care that one would expect. Um, so I don't know if really Gon ever expected that from him. So I don't know how much... Leorio is more or less like projecting or not and thinking how Jing should act versus how their real relationship is. But it's interesting to see. So I really did like that part of the episode as well. Yeah, the things that I don't really the things that I'm not sure about is if Jing really doesn't care or some weird 4D chess thing. Cause I know he likes to play around of all those games of 4D chess of his like just a particularly like like peeve Leorio off or, you know, just generally thinks mm -hmm. that, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's like, oh, well, he's in a coma. He'll be fine. Like, he's like, I don't really need to worry because I know he's going to be 100% fine and he'll get healed back and it'll be good. Yeah, like, I'm not entirely sure either because in the next episode, he basically says something that makes you think it's the second of those, but you never mm -hmm. get confirmation. Yeah, so I don't really, I don't really know. So it's, it's interesting, like, it's even like after watching a couple times, I still don't, I still have a hard time grasping what his motivations are, and if he really is that cocky. But I, I just don't know. It seems like there's, like even like I think maybe he got hit on purpose. Actually, I actually don't remember if he did or I not. I can't but, wait till you read the manga. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, they'll. Uh, like I said, I just don't know his motivations and like what his even like his inability. There's just not enough known about him right now. He's. Really, like, even this far in the show, was it episode, what, 100 and something? 140. 140? You still have a hard time guessing what his motivations are, even after seeing him a few times, seeing Greed Island, seeing flashbacks. It's mm -hmm. interesting. This is, like, the first time we're actually really learning about his character and getting into his personality, you know? I, I won't tell you what you find out, but I will say that you find out some of those in the manga, and then some of them are still huge mysteries. As it should be with Mr. G Jing. But yeah, it's I'm I'm looking forward to talking about that with you guys once we get there. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, but yeah, those are my thoughts. What do you guys think, especially watching it either the second or even third time around? Patrick or Hannah, what do you guys think? I'll Hannah, you can go first. I'll go after you. Oh, I mean, I liked it enough, but it wasn't my favorite, to be honest. Um, I guess it was kind of, like, fun to see Canary again, and also, um, I guess, seeing Lorio. So, I like that he sucker-punched Jing, so good for him. 
that's really it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think I kind of encapsulated my feelings when I, I was stated before, where I like the fact this is like, a, even though it's not a gene-focused episode, there's a lot of gene that you're sort of getting exposed to and like trying to figure out his motivations, which I thought was really nice. I really enjoyed seeing Lirario again. I honestly, as, as weird as it sounds, I did miss him. Yeah, he wasn't like exactly the best member of the group, but I he's the really... heart man. He's the heart. Yeah, honestly, he's just a really nice. He's just a really cool character. It's like Kurabara. Yeah, well, he actually, is. I don't know. Kurabara is more of what 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 Killua is on the series. To be honest with you. Oh, the the best bro. Yeah, so the best bro, and like he's he does a lot. Like compared to Liria, I'd argue that that Kurabara has done a lot more than Liria has done in the show so far. Not not I, trying. I would to agree Rashid. with that, but yeah. Yeah, not, not to try to throw shade, but still, I I think there's an aspect level of him that I really appreciate, and I'm glad he's back. And actually, we're learning more about, like, what happened, what he learned while they were gone. Like, the the whole Chimera and arc happened, and he got his uh, Nen abilities, you know? Because really didn't see much of his Nen abilities besides, you know, this some of this here and there, you know? Because that was really about it. Like I don't even like literally. I think he just was like, right. Like I don't even think he even had that. I'm think trying to think about. It, I don't really think he even had that much aspect in the during the the uh, the Phantom Troop arc. At least maybe I'm missing it. No, he he did. He uh, you know, the whole cell phone thing, and like also the the plan to like, you know, kidnap Crollo and like yeah, they, he he did a lot. It just wasn't like you know acts of strength. Okay, yeah, no, I, I compl- I'm honestly, I completely forgot about that. That was kind of bad to say, but <laughs> I mean, no worries. I mean, that was also a complicated arc. Until we got to the Chimera Ant, nothing was as complicated. It was like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of like 40 chess going on from different players. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that arc too. The the, the great the arc, fan troop arc. But yeah, like it just seemed like after after that arc and the the whole make that that whole thing, just like, oh, I guess uh, guess he's good for now. Guess we'll just ignore him in Greed Island and uh, Chimera Ant. That's cool. But yeah. yeah uh, pretty, oh, sorry. Hmm? I was no, just going to say, it. I pretty much agree with you guys. Like, this is a fun episode in terms of just like, hey, setting up sort of this quest Kilo is about to go on and like reintroducing Leorio and having him punch Gene. But that's like about it. Like, it's kind of, it's more like just like setting things up, putting them into place. But mm-hmm. it in itself isn't super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird though. I still really enjoyed this episode, like more than some of the slower fan, like the slower Chimera Ann episodes. Yeah, I don't this dislike the episode. Enjoyable. There's just not a lot of meat to talk about, you know. Yeah, right. But I think that's what's I love about Hunter Hunter. It's like it's still gonna be very entertaining and very like memorable, even though not a lot's happening. Yeah, I would have included a later episode with this one for this episode if we had if the next two episodes weren't like intimately connected because like otherwise it's kind of just like slim, you know. No, I feel you. I feel you. Uh, but yeah, does anyone else have anything more to say about the uh, episode, or should we uh, move on to uh, you know thanks and such? I think we're. Oh, wait, ready. Megan's here. Jesus, what the fuck? Oh. <laughs> to be fair, I haven't been here in a really long time, so no worries cool yeah i mean i had the same kind of like i liked it but like it wasn't like this is my favorite episode just more of a cool cool setup cool intro so what's kind of going down nice uh yeah if that's uh what everyone has uh you know i'd like to thank our patrons thank you for uh you know sticking with us uh through the thick and the thin 
But, uh, you know, I'd like to thank Tim, Mia, Hanaro, Arthur. <sighs> Patrick, could you say this one? Um, hey, Remy, let me punch your fart box. Thank you. Uh, Valtteri, uh, Alexander, and Lucas. Uh, and, you know, thanks to you guys, we, we get to uh, put out this great show. And, uh, and now a word from... I was going to say our other patrons, uh, compatriots and benefactors, but that hasn't been a thing in a while. Uh, we should definitely join a network. If you guys know a podcast network of people who don't suck, hit us up. Um, we'll figure that out. Tommy, yeah, Tommy can out. you edit in the guys... Impossible theme song uh, instead of our ad break? Call Thank me, you. beat me if you want to reach me. Welcome back, guys. Uh, now you're going to hear me do a little research piece about what I think are the primary influences on, uh, you know, Nanika's powers, uh, which I'm going to spell them out, are Jin. Uh, they are the monkey's paw. And finally, uh, the works of H.P. Lovecraft. So I'll, I'll get into this. Um, are you guys aware of the history of uh, genies slash Jin? Oh, like E-J-I-N-N Jin? Yeah, J-I-N-N-I. Oh, is it J-I-N-N? Yeah, or oh, J-I-N-N. I think Ginny is singular in Arabic. Well, today you're going to learn. Oh, yay. Fun. Um, but uh, Jinn are invisible creatures uh, from, Ara like from an Arabian origin uh, that start from the pagan pre-Islamic period of uh, Arabia and continue into the Quran and later Muslim culture. Like humans, they can have any moral or ethical alignment and are thus subject to God's judgment. They can be either Muslims, in this sense, uh, meaning anyone who submits to God, or disbelievers, depending on whether they accept God's guidance. Thus, they could uh, be mapped to the good and evil supernatural forces and gods encountered by Muslims during, their during the expansion of the religion. Um, as part of this, and this, this is taken from Wikipedia, to assert a strict monotheism and the Islamic concept of Tawhid, meaning oneness of God, uh, Islam denies all affinities between the jinn and God, thus placing the jinn parallel to humans, also subject to God's judgment and the afterlife. The Quran condemns uh, the pre-Islamic Arabian practice of worshipping or seeking protection from them. Jinn can possess humans and also reproduce with them. Uh, jinn might be invoked along with demons and devils for means of sorcery, incantation, protection, or divination. Jinn are especially good to ask about the past, since they're much, uh, they live much longer than humans, so they were there. You, it's not a supernatural power, they were just there. It's just like, uh, you know that part in Lord of the Rings where, um, friggin', uh, what's his name? Elrond is just like, 
I was there when you know uh, the like, walls fell or whatever. No, 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 no. Uh, the, the, I was there, the, Gandalf. Yeah, I was there, Gandalf, when Isildur, you know, didn't cast the ring into the fire or whatever, and then he has that thing where Hugo Weaving's just like Isildur, and he's like, no, and no. just doesn't throw it in. I actually yeah, did. Exactly. I actually do really like that scene a lot. It is a great scene, but the way he says Isildur is like very—it's just very memorable. And like, I think it's really dramatic when I see it. But every time I think back to it, I just think he rolls his R ten times when that's definitely not what happened. Listen, it's just Hugo weave, weaving being Hugo weaving. True. Um, but in uh, Ibn Al Nadim's Kitab Al Firhisti, uh, Firhisti, uh, the book. Which means the book catalog, a.k.a. a compendium, which uh, was like an early form of collecting a bunch of different books and knowledge. He reports that the art of commanding jinn and demons is traced back to Solomon, like a.k.a. King Solomon of the Bible. Um, what about Solomon it was a common, No, it was a common Muslim and no. Jewish belief at the time that Solomon had used the power of like demons controlled by an amulet in order to assemble the first temple. Um, when nice. I say common, I don't mean this was like this was not orthodox this was like just a folk belief a lot of people had um even nadim explains lawful and unlawful subjugations of jinn and demons as distinct you know different ways of catching pokemon basically gene mom my favorite yeah well the uh, former controls the jinn by the powers of god's divine names the latter pleases uh pleases demons and devils by prohibited offerings and sinful acts so really i'm just saying like it's just like i i guess like you're offering things to the devils including of yourself if you know what i mean but um yeah that sort of two-part division of different ways to deal with a supernatural force who might grant you wishes seems familiar, huh? Almost as if there's, like, two methods to deal with Nanika. Um, and this, this is a kind of, you know, tenuous connection, but I'll, I'll keep on building it up. Right. Uh, other, other authors mention marrying Jin and begetting children with them. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Nice. So um, the Jewish depictions of Jin, which in Hebrew are referred to as Shadim, closely resemble that of the Islamic depictions in many regards. The Babylonian Talmud says... In three regards, the Shadim are like angels, and in three like humans. They have wings, they fly, and then uh, they can fly from one end of the world to the other, and they know the future, listening from behind the veil of the angels. In three regards, they resemble humans. They eat and drink, procreate, and die like humans. Party animals. <laughs> Lol. Like, Muslims, uh, like Muslim exorcisms of jinn, Jewish exorcism as well uh, includes negotiations with these beings asking for their religion, sex, name, and intention. You know, it's kind of like a dating app. You're just, you're just uh, checking oh, out okay, this demon. Shalom. Oh, he swiped. <laughs> wait, wait, yo, wait, wait, Patrick. What did you say? Did you just say age okay, shalom. shalom location? No, no. Okay, shalom. Oh, oh. I, I know that there is a Jewish dating app, but I don't know what it's called. It's not Coffee Meets Bagel, surprisingly. But um, um, the treatment of possession by Jin, aka Shadim, differs from that of traditional Jewish cure for spirit possession associated with ghosts. The book, um, in. So Christian Arabs uh, also kind of believed in jinn, and Christian Arabs drew a sharp distinction between jinn and fallen angels, saying that they were two separate things based on, like, a number of citations from uh, the Bible and, uh, you know, older Jewish texts. But culturally, um, in the modern day, though discouraged by some teachings of modern Islam, cultural beliefs about jinn remain popular among Muslim societies in their understanding of cosmology and anthropology. According to a survey undertaken by the Pew Research Center in 2012, at least 86% of Muslims in Morocco, 84% in Bangladesh, 63% in Turkey, 55% in Iraq, and 53% in Indonesia, 47% in Thailand, and 15% elsewhere in Central Asia affirm a belief in the existence of jinn. Um, this is so 
common uh, that sleep paralysis is understood as a gin attack by many sleep paralysis sufferers in Egypt, as discovered by a Cambridge neuroscience study. Oh, fuck. I, got, I have gin attacks all the time. Wait, do you have sleep paralysis? Me? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's bad, Wait, man. Do you imagine something sitting on your chest? Because I know that's a very common... Uh, uh, so when it's really bad, I'll have hallucinations. Usually it's not as bad where, like... Like, I can tell, like, I'm half dreaming, half awake. But one time I hallucinated... I've never seen Lord of the Rings, but I hallucinated that Gandalf was in my closet. I remember I was, like, <laughs> 17. Um, Gandalf in a gray robe. I think that's Gandalf the Gray, right? Or it may be just, like, putting details into my hallucination now that I'm older, but... Was it looking um, through the door, like, like in the end of Lord of the Rings? You just in my closet, like, with the door open, like, fully just standing oh, no. there watching Wait, me. Megan, um, you need to see... I, I've never seen... I've never seen Lord of the Rings, so maybe... Like, I've, I've always fallen asleep at Lord of the Rings. So, <laughs> no, like, I, you... Gandalf! <laughs> You need to see it because there's a scene where Frodo is like having sleep paralysis because oh, he was stabbed with a blade. Really? And then no, Gandalf really? No, up. don't tell me that because like he's going to come back and then now I'm going to panic more. Well, this time <laughs> it'll be Gandalf the White, so he'll be more oh, powerful. Good. Yay. <laughs> but good, it'll come with good. more people. Good. Yeah, no, I just, you know, sleep paralysis. Just a bunch of guys on horse go through your, go through your fucking closet. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know, maybe I should keep my closet closed just in case. I actually thought I was over just... the sleep paralysis and then... uh uh, like three weeks ago i started having it again like oh god uh so i was like oh yeah <laughs> yay well i mean Yo, it, i mean it could be uh what's his name he could like could be could, he could come up to you and be like gondor calls for aid did you ever um, watch Lord of the rings eventually yeah you should watch it eventually did you ever have the classic uh experience of going to a ryokan and having sleep paralysis oh god what? no no i have not <laughs> Oh my god, I've heard independent stories of people being haunted by, like, Kitsune, like, at Ryokan. You know what I think it is? I think it's more common, but Ryokan usually is a, Ryokan, if you don't know, is a traditional inn, right? And usually yeah. you sleep on tatami, unless you did, like, a western-style room, they do have those, mm -hmm. which is, like, a bed, but tatami's on the floor. It's not super comfortable to sleep any other position on, on tatami or on a... Um, on a futon unless you're on your back so what my theory is is the stress of like based off of, like this three second story you just told me joe it's more common to have sleep paralysis when you're sleeping on your back so like most likely oh. it's people who don't huh. usually sleep on their back who are regularly prone to sleep paralysis and like the stress of traveling um kind of mixed with like an ease of like being in like an old place kind of yeah. creating that environment that perfect environment aspect, yeah. yeah is it associated with sleep apnea I do have sleep apnea, um, potentially. I don't know, like people. I don't. I remember like looking into it relatively recently, um, because I was like, how do I prevent this again? Because I I didn't remember. Um, and it's mostly like being able to sleep well. And if you don't sleep well, you're more likely to have sleep paralysis. So the more sleep deprived you are, the more likely sleep paralysis will get you. Um, and it can and happen to anyone. Well. It's not like yeah. So. Damn. In sleep apnea, if you're not diagnosed and you're not using your CPAP, like I'm not, I'm really just realizing like my problems are my own. Uh, if you, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> if you're not getting good enough sleep, then theoretically sleep apnea would contribute to sleep paralysis. Uh, Is it weird to say that I'm, I'm actually jealous that people are getting haunted by kitsunes? Cause I hella want to be like, I hella want to be sleep paralysis and get haunted by kitsune that i mean i, would, I don't like, think this was sexy i think this was like no not in a sexy way like like, like oh, I, i'm not not so you're weird, talking like, like stars way no no not like that like, like you know you remember uh, majora's mask where you put on the the, the keaton mask and then that yeah. like fox thing comes up and makes you do the trivia like that like one of those things pop up 
Like, See, that, hallucinations cool. sound fun. Sleep paralysis, what accompanies sleep paralysis is the ability you can't move. You're, like, locked into your body. Um, and for me, that makes me panic. I mean, if you're cool with, like, chilling and sitting pretty, like, that, maybe yeah. it'll be fun. I don't know. I mean, like, like, I mean, like, is the kitsune, like, is it, like, scary kitsune? Like, they're going to stab you? Or is it, like... It, de it depends on your brain. Most of them are supposed to be vaguely scary. It's just like, hey, what if you had a less shitty vampire around you? Okay, because I was imagining like red, like red from like Animal Crossing or some shit. Well, he's no. walking into the scene. I'll just you from your money, but he yeah, like, I mean that'd be kind of fun. He send me some counter, selling me some counterfeit art. Uh, wait, Joe, the Ryokan sleep paralysis thing is this like from like friends you know? I was assuming it was friends you knew it's who visited podcast, or like podcast I listened to about a group of uh, video game localizers who live in Japan but they've had mm -hmm. multiple guests who have like been like yeah I had a fucking sleep paralysis episode they're like were you at a Ryokan and then they're like yes okay well I just uh, looked up that and I got like a has-been hotel shitty OC so I'm not oh sure God. I'm getting the right results <laughs> well you should really look up a Habo hotel version I think that will that will turn up something better um but anyways to get to get back to uh the gin um so in folk literature, I can't uh, make any jokes. Damn it! Yeah, don't definitely don't. Uh, the gin can be found in various stories of the one thousand and one nights, including the fisherman and the genie, uh, which is one I read. It's about a fisherman who throws something off a boat, I think, and then like the, or maybe I'm confusing this with the next one, which is Maruf the cobbler, uh, which has more than three different types of gin are which are described, and then the tale of Nur al Din uh, Ali and his son Badr al Din Hassan. Hassan Badr al-Din weeps over the grave of his father until sleep overcomes him and he is awoken by a large group of sympathetic Jinni. Oh, you know, maybe maybe he's also having sleep paralysis. Hey, this is kind of unrelated. I'm sorry. Just real quick. Uh, does that have anything to do with, like, The Prince and the Cobbler or whatever that movie is? Uh, I don't know, actually, but seeing as how The Thousand One Nights is very influential, it's possible. But anyways, the final one is the one that you actually probably care about, Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp, uh, in which two Jinn help young Aladdin. What do you guys know about the story of Aladdin? So is it pronounced Aladdin or Aladdin? Uh, it's technically Aladdin, but like, okay, that's like I me was being like, oh, that. I went to Nicaragua. No, like, cause I don't know, all like, I don't know, that's different from that, cause like Aladdin is more. That's how you correctly say it. Versus Aladdin sounds like, sounds like white dude saying that. Well, so there's a difference because, like, it, it's kind of a question of register because there's many things that we say wrong but are told are right. And it's just kind of accepted because it's the tradition. Like, you know, the uh, statesman of Rome, Cicero, like he's a famous, he was also a famous orator and many of his speeches are preserved in Latin and you're taught his speeches in Latin yeah. classes. So his name wasn't pronounced Cicero. That's totally wrong. His name was Kikero, but like, don't fucking call him Kikero. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to start using the pronunciation that Patrick said, because I'm pretty sure it is correct. Uh, so Aladdin's actually kind of complicated because technically it was added to the thousand and one nights at a later date and like was added by a Syrian Christian. And so there's questions about the, like the true authenticity of the story, but it's generally accepted as part of the canon of the thousand and one nights. So like, even though it's not like a classical period Arab story, like I'm just going to elide that and like refer to it as Aladdin, which Patrick brought up is technically the correct pronunciation, but if I remember correctly, it's not a properly formed name. Like it's probably actually a short form of a longer name, but I'm not gonna fucking start calling Aladdin the longer form. So yeah, I, I mean, I'm not expecting anybody to call it Aladdin. I just, I just think it's fascinating to think about that way, and like, because you know, you see Aladdin, it's like they everyone calls it that. It's like a, it's like Notre Dame when it's Notre Dame. 
Oh, uh, yeah. I, yeah, well, it's Notre... Yeah, but anyways... Notre... Is it Notre Dame or Notre Dame? No, it's like Notre... It's it's a French noise that I can't make very easily. The, the, like the key thing is try your best. Yeah, because yeah. like I heard people say Notre Dame, and I always heard it pronounced as Notre Dame like all my how, life. How do you guys pronounce the name of the most famous Roman Empire or Roman Roman Emperor? Are we talking about Cicero again? No, the Cicero. most famous Roman Emperor. Oh, Julius Caesar. Caesar Caesar. So do you, do you know how his name was actually pronounced? <laughs> can we? Can we? Oh, is this gonna be rude if we try? No, like why would it be sound? rude? No, no, why would it be rude? Yeah, it's a cuss sound, yeah. Oh, okay. Keshar? So it's, so I the saw? J was not a J. It was actually an I. So it's Julius Caesar. Yeah, Julius oh. Caesar, like a Kaiser, like a German. Yeah, the oh. German word Kaesar oh. comes from Caesar. Oh. Um, wait, is it that his last name even? Or did he have a last name? Or is it his uh, title? I forget the relationship of family names. Like, so basically the Roman conception of gens, which is effectively your family name, is a little bit different than later ideas of last names, so let's not get into it. Um, anyways, I love uh, that Latin this, uh, is an there's impoverished. This real, there's this, sorry, I was just say there's this Latin guy on YouTube I watch, and he speaks in Latin. It's cool. I'll, I'll see you in the channel. Oh, like is it. that is that the Polymathy guy? Yeah, and he like, He's he, like does like speak. It's really cool. Like he dressed up like a Roman emperor and like spoke and honestly, yeah, and he, like he goes to the Vatican and speaks Latin to a bunch of priests, some of whom are able to capably respond to him. Yeah, it was really cool. Honestly, it's like maybe I should play Warhammer that way because Warhammer is like technically a bastardization. It's like a high Gothic, like a, a Latin. So it'd be really funny if I learned Latin just to play Warhammer and speak only in Latin to play Warhammer. But don't do sorry, that. I'm get I'm getting really nerdy with this. Sorry no, 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 no. That that's not that's not why I'm saying saying not doing that. I just want you to know that learning Latin is so much harder than learning a modern Romance language uh, for many reasons. So unless you're really, really, unless you're gonna be like a scholar. Probably like don't learn Latin. Yeah, or a priest, which I don't think you're going to do. <laughs> um, so you. anyways, Aladdin is an impoverished young ne'er-do-well dwelling in one of the cities of China. This is a direct quote from the story. Um, and he's probably not actually Chinese. I mean, a lot of people take it to mean he's Chinese, but like one of the cities of China was a common way back in the Muslim like golden age to refer to as like one of the most distant lands, aka it's just like being like, this story takes place very far away. Um he is recruited by a sorcerer from the Maghreb uh, who passed himself off as the brother of Aladdin's, Aladdin's late father, Mustafa the tailor, convincing Aladdin that his mother of his, uh, of his goodwill by pretending to set up the lad as a wealthy merchant. The sorcerer's real motive is to persuade young Aladdin to retrieve a wonderful oil lamp, Shirag, from a booby-trapped magic cave. This all sounds familiar so far, right? You know, like, except it's Jafar just being like, yeah, I'm your... Well, one, Aladdin has a mom still, which he doesn't in the Disney version. And two, Jafar is like, yo, what's up? I'm your dad's brother. Um, Wait, does, uh, does Aladdin have a dad? I mean, everyone has a mom and a dad, technically. If you well, I mean, like, like, I mean, like, visible on screen. I never know if he had in a the, dad. Yeah. In the, movies, in the, third, movie, cool. in the third movie, third he does. Movie. But in the Wait, third what? movie, he does. But they break canon of the 1001 Arabian Nights by being like, his dad, you might have heard of this guy. Is Wait. <laughs> No, wait, no, someone, someone, uh, what? Who's seen this movie? Wait, there's a third one? There's a third movie where he's, yeah, direct video where he has a dad that they 
spoiler save from whatever trouble that was happening. There was also like one movie with like a green lady. I don't remember if that's the second or the third. No, that um, wasn't that I... wasn't one of the movies. That was the TV show, which is oh, its a own... TV show. Yeah, I watched the TV show as a kid. It's yeah. really fucking weird. But the reason the reason I said you might know this guy is who's the other most famous like old Arabic uh, story character you might know. You're going to know the name when I say it. So just guess, like, who are, like, famous, like, medieval Arab story characters? Uh, uh, Alibaba? Bingo. In the third Aladdin movie, they're like, Aladdin's dad is Alibaba. (laughs) Dude, Alibaba's my favorite website. Nice. Wait, what what is the story of Alibaba? Okay, back up. What's the story of Alibaba? Alibaba is a guy who breaks into a thieves cave by saying a password like to a magic door and the password turns out to be open sesame so that's where open that's... sesame comes from oh okay so Damn wait it. didn't so did disney aladdin combined aladdin and alibaba bingo yeah they okay, combined that's aladdin why it's and alibaba, alibaba. <laughs> Okay. Well, actually you know i never thought about that but that's probably exactly the reason because you know they're like ali abba so abba means father in hebrew i forget if the Arabic equivalent is similar or not, but like they're very cl- well, they're somewhat closely related languages, so it's possible. In which case, it would be you know, Aladdin, uh, Prince Ali, famous. Oh, I guess that would be Ali's father of. So that kind of breaks it, but I wonder if they were still going for that because, like, you know, that fucking line we said could still work, guys. Well, I mean, now that you're talking about that, uh, now that you're mentioning that, uh, Mamma Mia is making a lot more sense now. I what? haven't seen it. Uh, the band, like, you're saying Abba is like a father. Oh, And all oh, those movies oh. are like about dad issues. Anyways, so, uh, so Aladdin retrieves a wonderful oil lamp from a booby trapped magic cave. After the sorcerer attempts to double cross him, Aladdin finds himself trapped in the cave. Aladdin is still wearing, <laughs> he's still wearing a magic ring the sorcerer has lent him. When he rubs his hand in despair, he inadvertently rubs the ring and a genie appears and releases him from the cave, allowing him to return to his mother while in possession of the lamp. When his mother tries to clean the lamp so they can sell it to buy food for their supper, a second, far more powerful genie appears who is bound to do the bidding of the person holding the lamp. So this is still kind of reflected in Aladdin 1 and 2, because in 2, like, Jafar could be seen as that second powerful genie, but we'll get yeah. further into this. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. I do remember in 2, he was technically, he became a genie after, like, yeah. the first one, I think. Yeah. My, so my thing, be- though, is that, so in the original story, does the genie pop out and make a bunch of obscure 90s references? Uh, you'll see, uh, you know, maybe the maybe the 1090s or something. But um, with the aid of the ge- uh, genie of the lamp, Aladdin becomes a rich and powerful, uh, becomes rich and powerful and marries Princess Badrul Bador, the sultan's daughter, after magically foiling her marriage to the vizier's son. So keep in mind, in Aladdin's, uh, in like Disney's Aladdin, Disney's Aladdin. Wow, it's definitely not Disney's, <laughs> Disney's Aladdin. Aladdin. <laughs> Honestly, um, I just call it Aladdin now. I don't, I don't even bother saying Aladdin. The vizier is Jafar, but in this one, Jafar and the vizier are two different dudes. Who's um, the parrot in this one? Uh, it's strangely, you know, I think maybe having a it's famous Jewish Gilbert actor Godfrey. playing a parrot in like the actual version would be a little bit of a problem. But anyways, the genie builds Aladdin and his bride a wonderful palace far more magnificent than the sultan's. The sorcerer hears of Aladdin's good fortune and returns. He gets his hands on the lamp by tricking Aladdin's wife, who is unaware of the lamp's importance, by offering to exchange "quote unquote" new lamps for old. He orders the genie of the lamp to take the palace, along with all its contents, to his home in the Maghreb. Aladdin still has the magic ring and is able to summon the lesser genie. The genie of the ring cannot. So this 
comes into you know aladdin 2 again where like robin williams has to fight jafar uh, <laughs> the genie of the ring cannot directly undo any of the magic of the genie of the lamp but he is able to transport aladdin to the maghreb where with the help of quote-unquote the woman's wiles of the princess he recovers the lamp and slays the sorcerer returning the palace to its proper place uh actually actually you're wrong joe uh, the, Robin Williams is not vo- the genie does not voice uh is not voiced by uh Robin Williams in Aladdin two. It's actually Dan Castanella, aka the, Homer Simpson. Yeah, but then Robin Williams comes back for the third one. Wait, he came back for the third one. The third one's like okay, so I really I liked think. the third one as a kid because like you know I was really into like fairy tales as a kid. So I was like, oh my god, it's it's Alibaba, and it, it, weirdly I was doing a Yago impression at the same time. Um, but. When'd I think I was the Yago only impression? one. Sorry. When did you grow out of that impression? Were you doing that the whole time? I'm yeah, I was doing that the whole time. It was. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you have that Gilbert Godfrey uh, speech impediment. It's very weird. Um. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, so I just want to shout that out. Dan Castanello shouts out Homer Simpson. Sorry. It, it was about marketing beef. If anyone's curious, why Robin Williams didn't oh. do the second one? Basically, okay, they used his sense. voice and likeness without his permission, I think. And then, in order to get him back, they paid him like. You guys, just fact check me. A crazy amount of money to come back for the. Okay, yeah. How are we gonna fact else? check a crazy amount of money? But anyways. crazy. Amount of fact check that. I think I think it's buku boxes. <laughs> the ta- terminology. Aladdin eventually succeeds to his father-in-law's throne, becoming you know the new sultan. Uh, notice how there's no three wishes in this story. So where does that come from? Do you guys have any idea? And I have a feeling Disney. you do because the next line of the notes fucking says it. Is it Disney? I'm trying not to cheat. I'm trying not to cheat. Three wishes. Okay, Is what's it... another famous story not involving the Middle East? But oh, the monkey paw, wish- monkey paw. Bingo. Oh, Did you look that up? No, I actually thought of that. Hell I've yeah. I've never heard of this monkey paw, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, Wait, we're about to. Oh, I, that's a horror story. Well, I know uh-huh. the horror story version. Can I say the horror story version? I have it. I have like oh, there's a, a real version. Is it the same thing? Oh, just kidding. Yeah. Oh, no, it's the same version. It's the same there's story. Only, hey, I... There's only a horror story. There's no non Before we go on, can I tie something into something real quick? Oh no! I just want to say that the that the the voice Gimli actually voices Casim in the uh, Aladdin three, and uh, there's a monkey paw episode of The Simpsons. So I just wanted to tie that back into. Oh those, yeah. That real quick. Sorry about that. Also, I assume you mean Casim. Casim, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, uh, so he does Mr. the third one too. Mr. Aladdin over here. Um, <laughs> Shut up. But anyways, The Monkey's Paw is a horror story by English author W.W. W. Jacobs. www.com.jacobs. <laughs> uh, it first appeared in Harper's that Monthly is. in 1902. In the story, three wishes are granted to the owner of The Monkey's Paw, but the wishes come with an enormous price for interfering with fate. Weird. Like, an enormous cost for wishes, huh? Um, Mr. and Mrs. White and their grown son, Herbert, are visited by Sergeant Major Morris, a friend who served with the British Army in India. During dinner, he introduces them to a mummified monkey's paw, an old fakir, uh, which is, I think, was a word for like an old uh, Hindu holy man in British parlance at the time. I could be wrong. It might be Muslim, but like from South Asia. I, I Someone fact check this, but Sounds I think like it's Hindu. Fucker. Anyways, an old fakir uh, placed a spell on the paw so that it would grant three wishes, but only with hellish consequences as punishment for tampering with fate. Morris, having had a horrible experience using the paw, throws it into the fire, but the skeptical Mr. White retrieves it. Before leaving, Morris warns Mr. White of what might happen should he use a paw, the paw. I'm sorry. It's a, I, I, You're just I'm thinking like, Morris? No, I'm thinking, no, not only that, Morris <laughs> and then uh, Walter White. Oh, God, it's, yeah. It just, it just, it's like, Morris, take this monkey paw, but beware of its power. It's like, we need to cook, Morris. <laughs> 
All right. Anyways, Mr. White hesitates at first, believing that he yeah, already Mr. has everything White. he wants. At Herbert's suggestion, Mr. White flippantly wishes for 200 pounds, which will enable him to make the final mortgage payment for his house. When he makes his wish, Mr. White suddenly drops the paw in surprise, claiming that it moved and twisted like a snake. The following day, Herbert leaves for work. That night, an employee arrives at the White's home, telling them that Herbert has been killed in a terrible machine accident that mutilated his body. The company denies any responsibility for the incident, but declares its intention to make a goodwill payment to the bereaved family. When the despairing couple asks what the sum will be, they are told, 200 pounds. Mm-mm. Um... A week after the funeral, Mrs. White, mad with grief, insists that her husband use the paw to wish Herbert back to life. Reluctantly, he does so despite great unease at the thought of summoning his son's mutilated and decomposing body. Later that night, there is a knock at the door. As Mrs. White fumbles at the locks in a desperate attempt to open the door, Mr. White becomes terrified and fears that the thing outside is not the son he loved. He makes his third and final wish. The knocking stops, and Mrs. White opens the door to find no one is there. Nice. Aww, that's sad. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. It's a great story. Awesome. But I notice really how the three wish thing happens here. Yeah. And it's a very influential story about, you know, tempting fate with, like, using the power of, like, a mystical force. That's nice. I just really wish I didn't imagine Breaking Bad the entire time you're saying Mr. and Mrs. White. Nice. Mm-hmm. So... How does this all, you know, tie together? Because there's also the part about just like, hey, why are people getting like juiced? Like, why are people, you know, like just being crushed and having their blood shoot out everywhere? Well, in the Hunter Hunter wiki, they mentioned that Nanika's power involves the cost of a wish, a different sort of three wishes, and being juiced alive like another infamous Arab man of the supernatural, which I will now talk about. They don't mention this, but this is my conjecture. Juiced um, as in like roid, roided no, out? No, they're not roided. Talking? They're They're just stripped of all, they're like crushed and all their blood comes out. It's great. Okay, uh, so the lesser good juicing. Yep. Uh, this is more like, uh, you know, Willie Nelson type juicing. Uh, yeah, Juice, no. if you will. I-, I keep getting his mail, dude. Anyways, uh, a creature resembling Nanika is also discussed in the manga in a book clearly referencing the Necronomicon of H.P. Lovecraft. The author of the Necronomicon within the, you know, H.P. Lovecraft verse is a man named... Well, is a man who was juiced alive by an invisible spirit in broad daylight. Juiced uh, alive? Yeah, basically, he was, like, wrung out like a rag, and just oh. his blood shot out everywhere in the middle of a market in, mm-hmm. in like, um, the story. But the man who it was who had written the Necronomicon's name was Abdul Al-Hezred, uh, which is the author of the Necronomicon and a Lovecraft self-insert character. Lovecraft, famous racist, always wrote himself in as a mad Arab. What the fuck? You, know, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of weird. Like, this is, like, the second horror author I know that writes himself in the stories. The you, first I'm pretty sure Stephen all King. horror authors do it. Yeah. Um, I think, but I yeah. Think, yeah, it's weird. I was going to say, it's interesting because Abdul Al-Hazred, it was the name Lovecraft called himself since he was a tiny child. Because at the time, if you were a well-read person, you, there was a fascination with the Muslim world because there were many more tales coming in from translation at that time. And so um, the book Orientalism discusses this, but basically pop culture at the time was heavily derivative of like Muslim story, like Muslim and Arab stories coming into the West. And so Lovecraft was a huge fan of, um, you know, the thousand and one nights and many other things like that. And so he named his self insert as a tiny child, Abdul Al has read, but the second part, while it's supposed to sound Arabic, it's clearly supposed to be, Abdul's read every book, and so he's just like, it's me, I'm the book boy, it's, I'm the H.P. Lovecraft, I love It's books. really fascinating seeing, seeing the, 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 
the 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 Arab world go from the the exotic like wonder to what it's become today? It's kind of like a sadness almost. Wait, uh, Patrick. Like the fascination. Uh, this is this is giving the that energy like uh, what's that? What's that one meme right now that's coming? I see what you're going with, Patrick. I think it's all tied to what was like called Orientalism as like a yeah. trope, where before I think it was romanticized in a way where because it was seen as exotic as like a good thing, and now it's exotic as a bad thing. But I would argue it was exotic as a bad thing earlier and before because like think the way that they portray people from the middle east in a positive light has always been warped in a way either tied to riches or but still somewhat barbaric in a sense like that the west can understand yeah (laughs) cultural other i will also say since we are talking about manga and anime i would also say that orientalism in the sense that you would think that the west portrays the middle east i've also observed it in a lot of manga in mm-hmm. manhua so korean and i'm probably assuming maybe i don't know about chinese fictional media a lot so i can't say but i have I noticed those same so. patterns i don't know dude i've been reading a lot of manhua lately and webtoons and it's definitely there. Ironically, no, I'm saying, I'm saying for China, for China less so than Korea oh, and Japan. Because uh, Japan at the time was basically just taking all the translations as well. Because like they were basically like, mm-hmm. we're honorary white people during the expansionary oh. age. Um, and so like there's a lot of influence uh, of like the Thousand and One Nights on earlier Japanese fiction from like, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s. And I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if because of Japan's, you know, colonization of Korea, that that's probably the reason for Korea as well. Meanwhile, I think China was like doing its own thing and was not part of that, I would guess. Right. So that's why I'm thinking that China of the three East Asian, well, I say three East Asian nations, but there's more than three East Asian nations, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> um, but of the three ones you know uh, or care about, um, I think China well, probably had the least influence. That, okay, that makes sense. Because I was wondering, like, why is this happening? Like, uh, there's got to be some sort of historical context because... I definitely saw in a lot of like Reddit forums for like for for Otome Isekai manga. Why it's like why why are the why is every time there's like a vaguely tan person, they're vaguely in a Middle Eastern setting, but they're portrayed as like the like the barbaric, um, but like handsome lover, and their female protagonist yeah. is like white as a paper. <laughs> I was gonna say if you want to see like an interesting thing, like there are. Arab and Arab-ish characters throughout all of Dragon Quest, and many of them directly mm-hmm. reference things from like the Arabian Nights. Like there is a genie who comes out of like a magic ring. Like mm-hmm. there, like there's all sorts of merchants and the like. Uh, like anytime there's like a merchant character, they're generally portrayed as Arab, like in Dragon Quest, which is supposed to be a Western fantasy. Yeah. Hey, is there if I explain myself real quick? It kind of seemed like that. Uh, so you guys came off that I said something racist. I that was not my intention at all. Yeah, I don't yeah. think any of us thought it was your intention. Yeah. It was more like in some it, context. Yeah, that that both like I guess the better way is that it's it's interesting seeing that shit, but it always was bad. Like they they express they showed it in that way. Like I mean, you can look at examples like Lawrence of Arabia and stuff like that, and mm. yeah. how they portrayed it in that way. And it's fat. It's it's interesting to see that shift change over time. But it's both bad in either ways. That sort of romanticizing or 
condemning of that. I just think that's it's just a fascinating thing, at least to me. For sure. Sorry, I, I just want to explain myself better because it sounded no, kind of okay. weird. And no, I was interrupted, and I was like, no, let me, let me just, like, yeah, I was like, it's like, no, no, wait, no, 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 no. let me explain it so you guys no. are, let me finish. No, no, you're good. It's just, it, it sounded like you were conflated. Like, I think you were trying to make sense of, like, how we, t it sounded like to me that you were trying to make sense of how we talk about the Middle East, right? Um, and, it, yeah, it didn't, it, it, to be honest, yeah, it didn't sound great. Um, we know you don't have bad intentions, necessarily. I do think that's, that's interesting that you brought that point up, because I actually don't read a lot of manhwa. So I didn't know that was still a thing even in that. That's kind of not great. Yeah, I notice it in a lot of like romance, Harlequin-esque manhwa and manga too. They're kind of like two in the same. And I do think it's like interesting to see where you would talk about like Orientalism mostly through like American or European media and these same tropes being repeated in... um east asian media where you think they're like completely different like cultures and continents and whatever or three i guess technically but it's the same tropes kind of exist um in different ways but similar at the same time but yeah I'll, we're gonna getting off topic here but i just found that yeah interesting <laughs> yeah no it's it's super fascinating yeah, I was gonna say, while this is off topic, I think this is like a very fertile uh, thing for us to talk about. We could definitely do it on like another episode. But another thing I've always wanted to look into is like Japanese depictions of China, because like they are often systematically racist as well, but in very different ways than Western ones. Mm -hmm. And so like I would love to do a research piece on that if it ever became appropriate. Same with Korea. Like, yeah, for sure. They're view or not everybody right but there are certain pieces of media that are um like kind of i guess anti-korea or anti-china in mm -hmm. a way i can't i don't know there's a word for that um like something xenophobic yes xenophobic um the the one that struck me is like i didn't notice it um because i don't think i got that far in that anime was um someone told me i think it was either a tiktok or maybe one of you guys who told me um what's the one with the boji with like it seems really cute but like it's apparently pretty Boki the Rock? um no boji um oh, okay kings ranking of kings oh yeah no i heard about oh, that i, I heard about it. this yeah. controversy yeah. i think I, in passing but that was interesting uh i don't know too much about it to be honest but apparently there's a lot of parallels between like that kind of dismissal of like korean japanese relations essentially and kind of putting it into like a very simplified anime context in a way that feels very uh, icky <laughs> when you like if you mm. if this if that was the intent um and even if it's not like historical context kind of matters in senses of like how things are portrayed right like in depictions of certain even if it's a fictional story right like what's the background behind x y and z right for sure. Um, and yeah, we'll definitely talk about that probably another time. But I was going to say, just to, just to ground it back in the origins of Nanika, basically, <laughs> oh, right. um, the, the, the reason I brought this up in the first place is I wanted to talk about, like, hey, Jin are these wish-granting things uh, that, like, you know, clearly have, like, a connection to the supernatural in a later Disney version that got this three-wish structure from, you know, the monkey's paw story, which is unrelated uh, they codified that in sort of like Western culture. Uh, this combined with like the 
Arab man killed by an invisible spirit, which for all we know could be a jinn in H.P. Lovecraft stories, Abdul Al has read, uh, provided the way Nanika's powers kill people. So like, yeah, basically I think we've kind of constructed this. And the reason that I'm confident in this is like one, um, this power and like the wishing method very clearly based on like modern ideas of, of genies. Uh, so I'm going to say the Western pronunciation there. But um, you'll find out in the manga that um, Togashi directly, pretty pretty much directly references H.P. Lovecraft. So there's like no way that that's not something he knows about. Um, and then like, while he didn't, I think, go out of his way to directly reference the monkey's paw, that idea of genies as depicted in modern stuff is a result probably of conflation with the monkey's paw. And that's my idea. I think that's really interesting because we mentioned H.G. Lovecraft before when we were talking about the chimera ants and like their origin and how it was for the most part unknown and that contributed to the fear that they brought out of people besides being like, you know, completely murderous beings. But the unknown made the fear, I think, even more um, intense. So I'm getting that vibe here with Nanika. It's like, what is happening? Why is it happening? There's no answer. And it does feel like a, a keen sense of dread <laughs> when you think about it. <laughs> For sure. Um, and I just realized I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one more thing. Um, while this is not, this is much more about the depiction of, uh, of Nanika. Um, Megan, you've heard of, I mean, you know, the, the word onryo, that sounds familiar, but I don't, I don't know it. Vengeful or wrathful spirits. So basically just um, like, hey, the depiction, like Sadako from The Ring is like mm -hmm. just a modern updated version of Onryo. So like, yeah, basically Nanika looking like that is like an old motif in like Japanese painting and, and like sculpture, like the blacked out eyes. Oh. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. You guys think this is relatively convincing? Yeah, yeah, no, I I could definitely see. I think we've we've talked about the monkey paw a couple episodes ago, didn't we? We did. I think I briefly, and I was like, oh, I'm planning on doing a research piece, so I'm going to shut up now. Is I think what I said at the time. Okay, yeah, because you no, know, I I picked up on the monkey paw almost immediately once I first saw that. And that was really the first thing I thought about as well as that connection. I didn't realize I didn't even realize that attribute that to to the story of Aladdin and all the the that other stuff as well, or the idea of ge uh, genies and stuff like that. It's it's kind of fascinating, really. I actually did really think this. I really like this this research piece. I did oh, thanks, learn man. quite a bit. Yeah, before uh, before we started recording today, uh, we had talked a little bit about, or was it before we started recording? Maybe it was on the record. Uh, but like we talked a little bit about like uh, you know Arab and Muslim culture uh, in the Middle Ages and how influential it was. But I would encourage everyone to read uh, medieval um, Arabic and Muslim history because uh, well medieval and pre medieval um, history because it's fascinating and a huge contributor to the gains of the Renaissance that is just uh, I won't say absent from Western history because that's not true it's absent from like you know the way it's taught in like elementary and middle schools and um, just having a greater pop cultural knowledge of that would yeah. do really well to make people accept more of other people that they're generally told to hate so check exactly it out. yeah because i think we, we did talk about that the whole idea of we should learn about like because i think we talked about like algebra and stuff like that and algorithms and that stuff coming from from the muslim world i think that if we had a better understanding like joe said i think it would give us a better a better appreciation for not the, only the stuff we're studying but also the culture as well which i think is most needed in this day and age yeah no um 
there's also like a bunch of I could name a bunch of uh, Muslim philosophers who were highly influential during the Renaissance and, um, you know, influenced many Western thinkers, but that we would be spending way too long establishing context and the like. But I'm glad you guys uh, enjoyed. Yeah, no, it's really good. And I definitely agree that if I think that's a big gap and people should research that because honestly, it's really fascinating and really cool, at least to me, at least I think th this is all really cool. Um, anyways, uh, who wants to, does anyone have any final thoughts or does someone want to take <laughs> yeah. us out? I don't know. I just, I think it's, I didn't even know that all these stories kind of combined and it kind of makes sense, right? Like it, whether it, I, I doubt, I doubt it was really like thoroughly. I don't know how much do we, have we ever talked about how much research Togashi that we know of actually does like how, like, or do we, you know what I mean? There's like, does he sit down and go to a, like, a library or like the internet whatever I, and like really i don't research know things yeah and it probably varies from like subject to subject because like mm -hmm. i i think it's so megan you've still not seen jojo right no okay so the guy who writes jojo clearly is like i, I think he probably has adhd and he's like one of those guys who hyper fixates on something because he like deeply re researches a topic and then he just includes it casually in some part of a manga and then he just like explains like there's a part where a guy does trig in order to figure out the best way to like shoot like uh, a power at someone and he's just like measuring the ratios of like his fingers and then like guessing someone's height and the distance someone's away and just stuff like that i'm like yeah you um you really spend some time with a trig book huh uh, and just like other stuff, it's like, let me tell you about Venetian history and stuff like that. Uh, I don't like, think like, yeah, he's super focused on Italy for that thing. Really, like, he's super fixated on Italy for part five. Holy shit. Yeah. So I don't think Togashi's <clears throat> like that in the sense of like completely hyper fixating. But I do think he's someone who's well read in like weird stories. And then just like maybe whether or not it's on purpose ties things together just kind of um through the process of like just digesting a piece of media you know like through digesting like a whole corpus of media over the course of your life because yeah, like no yeah. one no one thinks of things entirely on their own like everything mm -hmm. is made from pieces you brought somewhere from like your life yeah and also he could have just been he could have just been inspired by like a short story or something like oh here's something that's based off a monkey paw it's like oh that's a cool idea and didn't even realize yeah, it, that it has all that history mm -hmm. yeah for sure it could totally be indirect because I think the impression that I get from Togashi's work and what we see from the, um, like the short, just that kind of reveal his creative process, um, he seems like someone who is like well-read, like you mentioned, Joe, and he has an idea and a theme of how he wants his story to go. So he's taking those inspirations and incorporating in his work, but not like explicitly showing what that reference is for the most part like it it seems like a blend of like a lot of different stuff and i think also a lot of storytelling in general like different stories have common themes so mm -hmm. like the idea of be careful what you wish for i feel like is a common thing that showed up in all different types of cultures for um sure. so it could be something where it maybe it's a coincidence but it could be like that a lot of people around the world realize <laughs> be careful what you wish for because you never know what will happen if it comes true. And it's exploring that through Nanika um, and the Aluka story. So I mean, it'd be fun to, if there was ever an interview, if someone asked like, hey, 
exactly inspires you um, for Hunter Hunter, especially because there's a lot of like interesting ideas that I never really associated Takashi before because I only read um, Yu Hawk Show that he's exploring here. I think with a I think with Greed Island, he specifically said that he got inspired like an interview because he designed a card game during that time period. And he thought it'd be really cool to do a card based storyline. Yeah, I don't I don't remember that, but I trust you. Um I think uh so something to to think about is like um you know Tagashi also a big video game fan, so and he's also known to have played through Dragon Quest. Uh so I wouldn't be surprised if maybe, you know, he also was just like, Hey, yeah, what's all this Arab stuff here? And like looked into that. And then, you know, he's <laughs> probably someone who likes fairy tales. Like so again, I don't think these have to be direct. Um, but like, I definitely think they were in the environment, like the media environment in Japan, yeah. Japanese pop culture when he was a kid slash young adult. Oh, the thing I was going to say though, um, there is an explicit note of his influences for the upcoming part in the manga, which, uh, Ooh. he read a horror manga as a kid called the drifting classroom. That is highly influential, uh, on the upcoming part that you will get to in the manga. And if you want to spoil yourself a little bit, read the drifting classroom. Or look it or look it up. That's definitely something I'd like to, you know, cover someday if we ever get to that point. But uh, if it, if no one else, does anyone else have any more uh, things they want to add? No, I think I'm good on my end. Sounds good. Thank you so much for listening to the Spirit Hunters. Please hit us up with questions, requests, or just a chat at our Facebook or Twitter at Spirit Hunter Pod. Heads up, check us out at our Patreon uh, at our Patreon patreoncom Spirit Hunter Pod and join our public Discord where we'll be discussing the shit out of Hunter, Yu Yu, and much more. Uh, speaking of the Discord, if you want to support us another way, you can help us by giving us a written review on Apple Podcasts. Each review gets a surface to tens or hundreds more people. Finally, today's intro and outro themes were made by Michael Shingo Crawford and Maddie M, respectively. Check them out, both out on YouTube. Also, a big shout-out to our editor, Tommy. Thanks to him, the rest of the crew can focus more on doing research and talking to Gashi. See y'all on the other side. Later. Bye. Bye.